This is Channel 253. In this episode of What Say You? Having a roof over your head is so foundational to your ability to do anything else that you want to try to do. And so this is why I'm a really strong advocate for having the federal government make a much larger investment in housing. And that's housing for people at every stage and every age of their lives. So let's build more permanent supportive housing for people who are homeless because, yes, we can stabilize them, but we have to answer the question, well, then where can I go next on your road to try to becoming more stable? Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. What say you? Real sisters. Real talk. What say you? Down-to-earth conversations between sisters about life, work, family, and the pursuit of an anti-racist community. Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Melanie. What What say you? you? Sister girl, what's going on? It's so good to see you again. Or hear you again. You know, look at this coronavirus. We doing whatever we doing. Uh, How you be? I am well and coronavirus free as far as I know. Well, (laughs) hell, unless it's up in my house because I haven't been anywhere for Ever. I know. Uh, I'm doing, hey, God is good. That's all I can sure say. About, I ain't sure about this new normal, though, because I don't want this to be normal, child. Well, you know what? I don't like that. I don't like new normal. I, I For some reason, that does not resonate with me. What it is, is, is God's will. That's the way I'm looking at it right now. And it will be whenever this is over, and I'm using air quotes, whenever it's over, or if it is over, it's just going to be his next will. So that's it. That's all. Well, you know how grandmama used to tell us, I mean, not grandma, everybody in our family, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. And while we're going through Mm -hmm. this, and like we said in other episodes, uh, I feel like it's God telling us to go somewhere and sit down because we're doing too much. Sat right? down. Sat down, right? Not sit. Sat, <laughs> S-A-T. Sat down. And let me tell you something. Tell me, girl. I have been satting down for two months, okay? You know, I was working from home anyway. I've been working from home for five years, So it's not like the working from home is new and deep and all of that to me. That's not the problem. The problem is that even though I was work, I've been working from home for five years, I also, it was intermixed with me traveling. Yeah. So it wasn't constantly being at home with me by myself and girl. (laughs) <laughs> Can I say to you, say it. I am on my own last nerve. You understand? Girl, I, I mean, tell you, I'm on my own nerves. I girl, get on my nerves. I have discovered some things about me. Now, I have always been that girl who said, oh, I love me. I like me. I am proud of me. I am so confident. I am so self-loving. And girl. Mm. 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 There are some things about me mm. that I have discovered while satting down mm-hmm. that I 
don't even like. I can't even look at mm, it. Okay. You understand? I understand. That's why we're going to make a whole nother show of it. We're going to do that. Is, uh, yeah. That's not what we're doing today, though. That's not what we're doing today. No. Today, mm-hmm. today we're going to um, delve into our true community service. The reason why I love having the podcast platform is that we get to expose people to new information. Yes. And, um, I happened to see a good friend of mine uh, not too long ago. I spent a few months where she was telling telling me that she's running for Congress. Ooh. And um, I was like, oh, Congress. Now, wait a minute. Now, is that state or, you know, sometimes I'll be forgetting how the how the systems work, you know? That's, girl, that's <laughs> why we're doing this today. And this is why I'm excited about this today. Yes. Because I get to be a regular person who experiences a a behind the scenes, if you will, of a real person, a real person who I could choose to vote for. Well, I'm already voting for anyway, Mm -hmm. but I can ask some questions about my experience as a voter mm-hmm. and what that looks like organically. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm also talking to the listeners. I'm excited because you'll get a flyer in the mail and you might get this flyer. You don't even know who this person don't is. Don't know nobody, you know? girl. Just you some gotta, names. You got to mm-hmm. figure out, well, why am I going to vote for this person? Okay. Mm-hmm. She's a woman. May, you know, it's a woman. Okay, let you me know how we now. do. Uh, yeah, you know how we do. It's like, ooh, okay, she ain't a white woman, right? Okay, but if she was a white woman and it was a man, then I was gonna vote for the white woman. You know, girl, that's how we do. It's just so it's not scientific. It is so just uh, what her last name is because it right. sounds like if it's a Gonzalez or a. You know, something that will let me know that it's a Latina brown person, somebody look, yes. And Jones, no, Jones is traditional. Well, look, uh, and here's uh, my thing. You uh, and I we talked about this a little earlier. Yeah. As just a regular person, I get the voters pamphlet in the mail, right? Yep. And so, and I I mean I I I will exercise my right to vote, period. Even if I don't know what I'm voting on, I'm going to vote on something. So you get the voters pamphlet in the mail and then you got the names, you got the initiatives, whatever, Mm -hmm. depending on what district you're in. Right. And so then you read and then it's like when it comes to voting for filling in the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes for a lot of times on the initiatives, I, I read them like 10 times and I don't understand what the hell they saying. But when, they, when it comes to the people and then you read the little bio or whatever, you know, they stand for and that's it. But that does not tell me who they are. You understand? Girl, some I people don't even vote. read. Some I, people don't even read. I'm sorry to interrupt. Some people just don't even read it. They just go to the ballot and go. So I want to vote for my intention is always to vote for someone who stands for and something. will fight for the right things. 
in right. my mind. And so that's why I'm excited about today because we get to get an uh, uh, in-depth understanding of who our guest is. Should guest we say is. we didn't we didn't took 10 whole minutes to I know through. girl, I know. <laughs> but I we know, needed but, to do that. I think but, we needed to do that. Yeah, it's important to get the context. So let's invite into the conversation our own former mayor of Tacoma, the honorable. Marilyn Strickland, running for the 10th Congressional District of the U.S. Congress. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, it is so nice to be here, Melanie and Audrey. Thank, thank you for that really good introduction that really honestly and authentically just talks about how folks vote sometimes. And I will tell you that when there is a ballot full of names and you don't know folks and maybe you haven't read the mailers, you didn't look at the voters pamphlet the way you should, there's just kind of a process of elimination that some people go through. Number one, is it a Democrat? Number two, is it a woman? And then you just kind of go through there looking at who you think you want to select because it can be daunting. Now, I do not recommend that. Of course, I recommend that we read our voters' pamphlets very thoroughly. We pay attention when people send you literature. We do our research. But, but, but also, there are just times when you don't know how to pick. And how many times have I received a phone call from someone? I'm sure you have too. It's like, what do I do with this initiative? Who do I vote for? What should I do? Yes. And so, you know, the idea that every single voter who has a regular life is paying that much attention to these elections is unrealistic sometimes. And also, too, when you think about this election and what's at stake for this country, for a lot of people I talk to, they're like, oh, I'm glad you're running for Congress, but we need to get rid of Donald Trump. Yeah. And so, and so I think that just kind of depends on, you know, who's at the top of the ticket, what's happening. And we know right now we, we are in a crisis and Audrey, you talked earlier about the new normal or whatever that means with your air quotes. Mm -hmm. We weren't normal before COVID. Mm -mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and yeah. I think sometimes we, that, that gets lost in this whole conversation. Let's go back to normal. It's like what we were doing before was not normal. Yeah. And that's why we're sitting down. I mean, that's why we have to sit down. I want to, uh, so, so how we start this conversation, we, okay. we, we want the um, audience to know that this is personal. We friends. Yep, <laughs> we are. Yep. We are friends, audience, and so this ain't gonna be uh, in kind of no kind of interrogation. What we want to do, and and the way that um, from a you know my journalistic heart, whoever's running against you, um, if they want to come to the show, come out. You can call, just call us up. Let us know. We'll try to figure something out. Um, but this right here, and our purpose is is to get an understanding out there about who you are, Marilyn. So. Um, let's, let's talk about, um, the roots, like where you come from, let's start there, where you come from and, um, and in summary, how you got to, uh, this point, just any way you want to go. You think so, Dre? Yeah, I think, I think that again, for me, as that voter who don't read, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and it's okay. I would love for you to tell people who you are as a human being. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to know. I want everybody to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that. And I appreciate that. And, you know, I tell folks that when you get into the world of politics and you're running for office, and then when you're actually serving, people view you as that position. And they often don't know the backstory of who you are and That's how right. you got exactly. here. Exactly. And, and, and even when you tell it, you know, you tell it in the course of a cycle of a campaign. And Think about how much stuff you get in your mailbox when it's not campaign season. Mm -hmm. Now compound that with all the mail that we're going to get 
<laughs> and it's, it's going to be plentiful. And what's interesting about this conversation is that I know all of you here personally. And so I know the producer, I know the two of you. And so it's interesting to think about the story, but I don't know if you all know my personal story. So I'm going to share it with you and feel free to let me know if you want me to expand on something or you want me to say, wait a minute, tell me more about this. So for people who don't know me, so I was born in Korea and I tell the story of how my father was born in the rural South in rural Georgia in 1920. Mm. And think about the times we were in as a country, as a world. And he joined the military because he wanted to send money home to his family. So he joined the military. He served in World War II. He was in the Korean War. And then he got stationed in Korea again. And that's where he met my mother. So my mother in Min Kim lives in the house that I grew up in, in South Tacoma. And I see her on a regular basis. So if you see me around town completely masked up, that's why. Because I know that my behavior and my exposure to COVID-19 could have an impact on her. And yes. so I'm very conscientious about how I carry myself and how I isolate because I want to take care of my mother. So with that said, she was born in 1929 and she survived the occupation of her country in war and all kinds of hardship. So by the time she met my father, she was like excited to meet him. You know, he was an American soldier. There was something glamorous to it. And they fell in love. They got married. I was born in Seoul in a neighborhood called Yongsan. Um, I was about one and a half when we came to the United States. And we landed in Virginia. So this is the 60s with a couple that was black and Korean at a time when it was illegal for them to be married to each other, let alone illegal for our family to even exist. And my mother tells the story of my dad wearing his uniform and she was dressed in a dress and they drove around all night trying to find a motel room and no one would rent it. Mm. So finally, someone was kind to us and they let us stay there. And that was my mother's introduction to the United States. Wow. Yeah. You know, fast forward, we end up here in Tacoma. JBLM, well, Fort Lewis back Fort then. Fort Lewis, yep. Yep, yep. Grew up in South Tacoma, went to um, K through 12, Edison Elementary, Gray Junior High, Mount Tahoma High School. And I think about what it was like to grow up during that period. I, I, call, I call the 70s my formative years when I was yeah. early in school. Our and school. it was culture, music, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think about, you know, this was a, this was a time when, you know, they were, they were, you know, school integration was still a thing. That was still a big thing. And so I remember kids I went to gray with came from all over, the, all over the city. And I tell folks this, this is true. You know, everything wasn't perfect, but I tell folks, if you grew up in Tacoma public schools in the seventies, you probably had an interracial experience mm -hmm. where you interacted with kids from all backgrounds, oh, all walks yeah. of life. That was a pretty common thing. Yes, it was. It was, it was, it was, it was. It was very common. And even the kids I went to high school with of all backgrounds were still pretty open-minded about who we interact with. And there's just an ethos that we have because we grew up like that. Yeah, and I would you, also, you yes, can, go ahead. You can look back on, because we, we grew up in the uh, Clover Park School District. Yep. yep. You look, look back in our yearbook and the pictures. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, we had our Samoan friends over here, the Filipino. That's how we learned how to make lumpia. Right. We learned how to make kimchi. We uh -huh. with our Korean friends because we had a group of, we had each other's back. I mean, and right. everyone held on to their culture you know, yep. because they lived in their culture and that was important to them. And that's what brought the flavor of our, you know, collective. Right. Um, but it was cool that you could be 
in your culture and and that's how we led right and it yeah, was right beautiful well and it was well it was fun too because you know i had white friends who came to my house and they were like well what's what's that what's your mom making can uh-huh. i try that yes. and so i would say it was just this really nice i mean i hate the term melting plot but it really was it i mean was. we Salibol. all got along Salibol. we know each other and i tell people the fact that earth wind and fire sold out five concerts when they came to town tells you <laughs> <laughs> that there was something about us being unified and having fun and loving and respecting each other. And especially growing up as a military kid, because a lot of us who are military kids mm-hmm. have a parent who is from another country. So a lot of my friends were black and Japanese, black yep. and German, white. I mean, p- pick any iteration you can combine folks in. And that was, that was military life. This is so us. with that said, yeah, it is exactly. It was, it was us. And so I think for a lot of us, when we see some of the strife and drama happening right now, it's a little disconcerting because we're like, well, it, it was cool when we were growing up, like what happened? And I'd say that it's a place like the Pacific Northwest. It's a place like Tacoma. And, and trust me, I'm not saying everything was perfect because there were some issues regarding race and people not getting along. But I think for most, most of us, it was just a really cool place where you could just be yourself, be your authentic self. And we, we just, we just dug each other and it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you go to WSU. I went to Wazoo for a year and a half. Oh, so sorry. And then... No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, that's how we met. <laughs> but that's how we met that's each other. Oh, that's okay. right. Okay. That's right. No, I was well, I still I told you were there. Was I remember I both of you. Yes, I remember. How could I forget the was two I of you, drunk? the Cunningham sisters? <laughs> you probably was drunk, girl. Was drunk. Oh, I'm sorry. Marilyn is looking. <laughs> Marilyn is looking like, ooh, I ain't stepping into this. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, or do you probably was because WSU is a blur. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, let no, no. Let that go. The Mighty Cougars of Washington State University. Yes, yes. Were, yes. The, there was a magazine that ranked the top party schools in the country at that time. Yeah, and I, I think I think Wazoo had the distinction yeah, of being did. number one. Yeah. Now, I don't know I don't know what the standards were or the criteria for judging that, but, you know, it was what it was. Yeah, so it we was, met there. It was we what it there. was. And even, I'm going to even step out to say, Marilyn, even our time in Pullman at WSU, those, if you look back in WSU's history, those were the highest, um, that's when they had the highest numbers of uh, students of color, black students for sure. Really? And and we, um, we really had this camaraderie, again, leading on culture that we could just be who we were. We were in the midst of change and, you know, we, we made it happen. And so all, I, I see where you're going with this, the roots, the roots yep. of who we are to wake up now at this point in time and say, what the hell? What happened? Because, yeah, what happened? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah well, I mean, what did happen? To be. No, and so, yeah, so think about the year and a half I was at Wazoo. And I left Wazoo because my father got sick. And I remember getting a phone call from our next door neighbor who said, your mother's at the hospital with your dad. You probably need to come home. And they really didn't think he was going to make it. And so I actually went home and then I ended up not going back to Wazoo. I sat out a quarter and then I transferred to the University of Washington. So that's how I ended up at UW. Yep, and, yep. And, so this, and really, I, I think this made, the first, this made the first time I've, I've told that story. And okay. so my father was really ill. We didn't think he was going to make it, but my father's a fighter. He survived. And so... I you know, and I and I remember thinking to myself, you know, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? And of course, my mother was afraid I was going to drop out of college, mm-hmm. and so I ended up getting at the University of Washington, and I just really treated it like going to work every day. And so, uh, so I'm going to make this connection. Then you really are you were early bridge builder in terms of being a cougar and a husky, right? Which a lot of people <clears throat> can't have that story. So we don't know whether to love or hate you, and so. Right, because the cougars and the um, 
and the Huskies fight all the time. So they both can love you. That's what I say. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> well, I, li- I like to say this, you know, some of my best friends are cougars. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, and what does that mean, cougars? Ooh, right. Well, I'm going to respectfully be quiet on this part. <laughs> Look, however, moving on. <laughs> however, I, I earned my degree from the University of Washington. I had a really good experience, lived in Lander Hall, lived in an apartment across the street from the law school, finished up there, had a chance to study abroad in London for a semester. Wow. And so, and, and, you know, and I'm a proud graduate of the University of Washington. And I actually, I was actually in the alumni magazine in a segment where nice. they, 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 they profile, they profile an alum and they ask you to decide how you want to like, how you want to gear up in UW gear. So at the time I was mayor of Tacoma. And when you pose for these profiles in the alumni magazine, they want you to have some kind of UW swag. And so people have had blankets, hoodies, pick something. And because I was mayor at the time, I talked about the fact that politics, in fact, a contact sport. So I had a football helmet. So that was my prop to signify what I was doing for a living, but also, you know, the UW helmet's pretty damn cool. So after that, I ended up working in downtown Seattle. And it's really funny. My first job in downtown Seattle, I made $13,500 a year. And we think about that now, and it sounds like such a paltry amount of money, but it was three times the minimum wage. It was enough for me to have an apartment on Capitol Hill, which was $265 a month. What? Money left over. Yes. Oh, my God. 106 Bellevue Avenue East. I remember the address. And, but that was enough money back then. And so you think about where wages are today with the cost of housing and how it is so out of proportion because a college graduate who was 21 years old could get herself an apartment, make $13,000 a year, and have plenty of money left over to do, you know, all kinds of things that young 20-somethings do. Wow. That Isn't is that something? amazing. That's deep. Yeah. It yeah. is deep. And I, got ri- and I got rid of my car because having a car was such a pain on Capitol Hill. So I just took the number seven bus or rolled around in my Honda scooter. And so that was really an interesting experience that I had. So with that said, you know, how did I get into politics? So I was in, I was in Seattle for a while and my father passed away when I was in my late 20s. And I met mm. my cousins from Atlanta at his funeral because they came up here. And that started my journey to the South. And so I would visit the South all the time. And one day my cousin just said, why don't you just move down here? So I did. So I literally went to work, quit my job, packed up my car and drove my Volkswagen rabbit cross country by myself. Now remember, this was before you had a mobile phone. So I would literally have a Rand McNally map with a highlighter charting my course every day, trying to figure out how far I could drive. And you get greedy when you drive cross country. So you think, well, if I just drive another hour, I can get this far. And so I would stop at phone booths. I would check in with my mom. And then I'd stay in a hotel, motel, motel, motel for the night. <laughs> That's, motel. When, That's when Motel 6 really was $6. Yeah. Motel 6 and Super 8. And mm. Super 8. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and, and, then, and then I think when I was in New Mexico, I was living it up and stayed in a Holiday Inn. Ooh, yeah. fancy. Yes. fancy. Yeah, it was very fancy. <laughs> So anyway, so, so that was my journey. And that really was interesting to me because, you know, doing something like that by yourself is a kind of a risky proposition if you think about the technology yeah. that I didn't have. Right. And I think about getting into politics and, you know, you have to have a tolerance for risk if you decide to get into politics mm. because you're taking a chance, you're putting yourself out there, you're going to take a lot of slings and arrows. And then there's a possibility you may not get elected. 
And so I was in Atlanta for five years. I loved it. I went to Clark Atlanta University, which was just historically black college and university. Had a great time there. Learned a lot about it was interesting going to a historically black college because when you're part of the traditional university system as people of color, you're always in the minority. Mm-hmm. And so going to a historically black college where I was not in the minority was a really interesting experience. Go ahead. Do you think, um, did your Korean uh, culture come into question at the historically black college, your Korean side? <laughs> No, that's a really interesting story because there were people who did not know I was half Asian when I was there. And I say that because when you're in the South and even up here sometimes, the diaspora and the range of people who are African-American is just so broad. And so I would meet people who you would swear were white and they were actually African-American. And it was just, it it was just, you know, for someone like me who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, it was a very eye-opening and amazing and lovely experience. I really enjoyed my time there. And some of my best friends I met when I was in graduate school, so I'm still in touch with them. And so it was a really good experience for me. What, what were you studying there? So I went there to get a master's degree in business administration. So I was part of the MBA program there. And what's interesting too, I remember talking to one of my professors one day, because when, you, when you're out of school and it's MBA and it's recruiting season, all these companies just descend upon the campus and they hold interviews, they do forums, they they dine you. And so they're trying to recruit people to come work for them. And I was pretty certain that I was going to end up working at one of the big brand companies and stay back East. And the economy was soft and I ended up not getting picked. So I was always a finalist for a job, but I never got selected. So I reluctantly came back here to Washington state. And I remember moving back in with my mom and I was feeling like, wow, this thing, this, this didn't work out for me the way I thought it would. So remember, I thought I was going to stay back East. I was supposed to go work for Coca-Cola, United Airlines, or some big brand company. Didn't work out. I come back here, and then I'm looking around for a job, and someone told me about this coffee company. It's like, you know, there's this coffee company that's starting up, and they're kind of starting to get some traction, so you might want to go see if you can get a job over there. So I ended up going for the interview at this little coffee company I hadn't heard of called Starbucks. And I remember during the interview, someone said to me, do you drink coffee? And I said, I don't, but does that disqualify me? And I started laughing and they say, no, but we have to teach you about how coffee is manufactured from the growing of the bean to blending it and how you pull an espresso at the store. And so that was really my first journey into working at a large company. And I told people at the time, Starbucks mantra was 2000 stores in the year 2000. So think about that. Wow. <laughs> they had serious right there. They had just entered the Chicago market. And they were just about to go into Washington, D.C., into this neighborhood called DuPont Circle. And we were just crossing our fingers. We were just crossing our fingers that it was going to be successful. We'd had no idea if it was going to work back east. And, you know, now we know. Now, oh, my goodness. Listen at that. So I think that's another little nugget to know that you started out. Were you a barista? Or- no, I was not a barista. I worked in the marketing department. And so we did, we had direct mail catalogs. This is this was before people bought stuff online. And I remember <laughs> we I remember traveling to Virginia because we were trying to figure out how to do something online with this really new tech company called AOL. <laughs> <laughs> See, you laugh now. Game. Oh you my laugh god. Time. I've been in a game a long time. I a long mean, time. I was getting ready to say your roots are deep. <laughs> and remember, when I think of AOL, I think about the high pitched screech of getting connected. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was my first uh 
my first internet address yeah, too. at aol.com well let wow. me let me let me tell you a secret i talk to thousands well i talk to a lot of people every day and i sometimes confirm their email address there are people who have aol addresses yeah they oh, do uh, have them. are you yes. serious nope. yes they do AOL. I yeah, they, they was dead. They no, still they, alive. Okay, listen, we better make sure that we're kind because we probably got some listeners that still No, you know what? Well. Let me tell you, people people have had that email address forever and they don't want to change it they because that's where people it. know them. So it's totally justified. Mm -hmm. They're modern. They can use new technology to get hold of people, but people still have an AOL address. Wow. I, I like that URL. I just like <clears throat> America Online. And I liked it a lot when I was traveling in Africa yes. and I would be AmericaOnline.com. Yeah. And remember that little, remember that little icon that looked like a snowman and be running? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into, um, I, I really want to get into um, the, the whys that you're running for this seat. Okay. The how, let's see, the how you came to this is that Denny Heck, I believe, um, used to hold this seat and yep. um, and then he left and then it's opened up and there's about 18 of you all trying to uh, get this. So that's like a crowded field. So it is. Yeah, tell me what led up to you deciding and then what is the your point of differentiation in this uh, field of 18? How do you, Absolutely. how are you but, situated? But I want to spend like just a minute telling you how I got into politics. I okay. think that's a big that part of the story. So, so I was, so I was back in Tacoma. I was volunteering at, um, theater on the square in Tacoma. Cause that was a, a new facility and there's a big opening and I was a volunteer and I was, I was actually taking people's coats and hanging them up. And so I'm sitting there and I take someone's coat and Brian Ebersol was the mayor of Tacoma at the time. And he was my, listen, listen, he was my guidance counselor at Gray Junior High. Oh. And so that was really the last time I saw him. And so I look up and I see him. It's like, Mr. Ebersol, nice to see you. Let me take your coat. And he said, you can call me Marilyn. You can call me Brian. Sorry. <laughs> said, you can call me Brian. And so we started talking. We ended up having lunch. He proposed the idea of my getting into politics. I rejected it outright. He appointed me to the library board of trustees. And that was really how I started getting into public service. And a few years later, there was an opening on the city council. I ran for that. There was an opening as mayor. I ran for that. And that's how I got here. So I just want to make sure that there's a backstory of how I, how I got, yeah, what year how I got into politics. What year so was that? Was, that? Okay, 2007, I ran for Tacoma City Council in a very competitive race. And then 2009, I ran for mayor. And for those of you who don't remember, in my first run for mayor, we didn't know for four days what the outcome was. That's right. And then I ran for re-election and I ran unopposed. And I think I was the first person to run unopposed since like Colonel Sprague. I'm like, it was a really long time in Tacoma political yeah, history. You really made us proud. You really made us proud. I, I mean, I saw how your, um, yeah, I was there in the 2007 beginning. You were. Going out there, right? And I'm like, yeah. Go, go, go. And very well organized, very community connected. I yep. loved, loved, loved how you brought your cultures together. Because I'm, I'm trying to think back to... I remember yeah. it was, we had an event at a downtown um, condo yeah. that Leah Armstrong, a Korean yes. American businesswoman, had renovated. And it wasn't complete yet, but she let us do it there. And I remember I saw you there and you and I were talking and you said, wow, I've never seen such a broad cross-section of people blending together to all come support someone. That, and so I, I remember that conversation yep, now. That's exactly, exactly what I thought. And I was like, this girl is going places. And then here we are talking about 
Congress. Oh, yep. gosh, you got to know that it warms my heart. I know we got this question um, yep. lingering, but let, let's uh, let's go to break. And then when we come back, we're going to just really delve into okay. the nitty gritty of um, why people should vote for you and then give you an opportunity to ask for their vote. We'll be back okay. in a moment. This is Nate Bowling, Alaska Air MVP and host of the Nerd Farmer podcast. There are three places I call home right now. The first is Tacoma, OBS. The second is Abu Dhabi, where I'm teaching for the next two years. And the third place I feel like home is on board an Alaska Airlines flight, sipping on Northwest beer and watching free movies. When you spend as much time on an airplane as I do, you come to appreciate the finer things that Alaska Airlines provides. It's because at Alaska, customer service comes first. I see it in all the little details that make the experience of flying better. Free messaging and free movies on select flights, and of course, that signature fruit and cheese plate. When I fly, I don't even look at the travel sites. I go straight to alaskaair.com and book. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for your longtime support of Channel 253. Welcome back, listeners. We are joined by uh, Marilyn Strickland is in the house today. And she's running for Congress, the 10th congressional seat. So, Marilyn, we're just going to jump right in now. We're doing good, but now we're getting to the really nitty-gritty of things. Why are you running for Congress? And, you know, what do you think you're going to do that's different than the 18 other people trying to get that seat? So, you know, so much of the conversation now around politics is about COVID-19. And I still go back to a story I tell about my upbringing. And so my father was in the military. We lived in a comfortable house in South Tacoma. It was modest by any standard, but here's some things we always had. We had a roof over our head. We had plenty of food on the table because you know those commissary bags get full really quick. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> commissary, we, had, we know. You know. You know the commissary, yes, right? Oh, the, the commissary, yes, we fill in, do. Fill in that card up, right? Mm -hmm. And they go to the commissary. We had healthcare, so we could just walk into Madigan, get taken care of, and we had my father's retirement. So we had our basic needs met. Too many people today do not have those basic needs met. And that was really what I was talking about before COVID-19. Now, let's think about COVID-19. What COVID-19 has done, it has magnified and amplified the fact that too many people don't have their basic needs met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even the conversation about what the new normal is, things were not normal before. It is not normal for us to have homeless people on the street. It is not normal for people to work 40 hours a week and barely be able to put a roof over their head. Right. And so as we think about what we can do moving forward, there are opportunities we have. So that's why I'm running because the basic needs of too many people aren't being met. And if you think about what's happening in D.C. between the Trump administration and what the GOP does and all these things, it's like we're, we're better than this. We are better than this. And so this is an opportunity to think about how we can be better and also the responsibility, I feel. You know, I tell the story of my parents. And they were denied basic rights. They were humiliated. They had to go through things that I can't even imagine. And so because I come from that place in my family history, I have a responsibility to do better and to make sure that I can do better for the people who come after me. So, so where, it's a sense of duty as well. Where is the, so the 10th, the 10th congressional district? Yes. So where, where is that? Who yes, that's a good you? question. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, 
some, so some people think that this is just Tacoma and it's not. So the 10th congressional district, literally during the last, after the last census, so let me just back up. So every time there's a census every 10 years, we take a look at population growth and we look at congressional districts. And so we draw them. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we added another one to Washington state. So after the last census, Washington state gained another congressional seat. So that's why it's called the 10th. Mm. And this includes everything from East Tacoma down through Parkland, Spanaway, Midland, unincorporated Pierce County. And then it goes over to Puyallup, Sumner, Lakewood, University Place, Fircrest. And then it goes down Anderson Island, Stillicum, Lacey, oh. Olympia, oh. Tumwater. Then it goes all the way west over to this t- the city of Shelton. And so when you think about the, and it goes down to Yelm. And so it covers a lot of ground in lots of Pierce County lots of Thurston County and a very tiny sliver of Mason County. So okay. geographically, it's more horizontal than it is vertical. So Doug, come up in here. Does the 253 go that far? Or how does it work? I mean, like, it's not radio or anything. I mean, it's so frequencies we have to worry about. No, it's fairly loose. I mean, we, we speak to the 253 generally, but if there are other issues that um, apply to us that also apply to others, then we cover that as well. So this would, yeah. this counts. Because some of those areas you just named, Marilyn, I think is 360. Yes, oh, indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But think about all the different, I mean, you know, Fife, Sumner, Tenino, Yelm. I mean, it's a. I mean, it's it's interesting to think of how many different municipalities and towns there are in this area. It's, it's pretty broad in scope, but it definitely is two five three and three six zero, no doubt. Okay, and it's no so for me. I'm look at me. I'm just getting granular because I need okay. to know. Yeah, we do need I'm, to know. I'm I'm in. I'm on Sixth Avenue. So okay. does that cover me? It does not. Yeah, so think of Pacific Avenue as a dividing line and think okay. about 30 and think about 32nd Street as the northern border of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And the, and the, and then it goes east over to Puyallup, Sumner, Five picks up all those different areas. But so, I'm in Stillicum. Well, well, you can vote for me. I that's what I thought. So, um, yeah. And so yeah. mom and so Mommy's in Stillicum. Mommy's in Mommy and Daddy are they're in unincorporated Pierce County cuz you know their street is just that one street. Uh-huh. Where they're not yeah. Stillicum or Lakewood. Yeah. Yeah. There's but it's, I mean, and it's everything. Alacy, Olympia, Puyallup, oh, Rainier, okay. Tenino, Fredrickson, Graham, Elk Plain, South Hill, DuPont, okay, so, McKenna, right. Furcrest. Now, Marilyn, look at here. <clears throat> Will you name off those areas? I don't know that there's a whole lot of people that look like you out there. Okay. I've been seeing signs. I've been out there. And I see big old Trumpster, a lot of white people, big old Trumpster signs out there. So what is your strategy to, I mean, you're naming some areas that are tough just in general for the mindsets of um, what we're talking about. Girl, what say you about that? Mm -hmm. What say you? So, So here's what I say. When you think about a congressional district, it is going to have voters of every single persuasion. Yes. And I will tell you that you think about the 10th district, it is probably diverse in every possible sense of the word. There is someone in my race who is a hardcore Trump supporter. There are people in my race who are hardcore Bernie Sanders supporters. And so it's every different flavor. And so as you think about the math that you do to win an election, especially when there are 18 people involved, you have to get enough to move to the general election. And I tell folks this, I mean, you know, my experience, my background and what I want to do, you know, even if there are people who don't vote for you, 
you're still representing them. And it doesn't mean you change your values, but you have to find ways to connect with people because I don't care what your political persuasion is. You should be worried that there's a housing issue. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your politics are. You should worry that there are people who don't have access to health care. I don't care what your politics are. You should be afraid that the earth is on fire and that we every summer have to dread these fires coming down from Canada that are going to conclude our air. And so there are certain issues, theoretically, that we should all care about, but then you overlay the politics of it and that's where it gets divisive because people have different ideas about how you solve the problems. Mm -hmm. And so, but, 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 you know, generally speaking, as we think about what happened to COVID, you know, when you show up in the emergency room and you think you have COVID and you're sick, they're not checking a card to see what your political affiliation is. They're just trying to help you get better. So I'm thinking, I'm back to these 18 people in the race <laughs> and the way that um, I've at least observed politics working mm -hmm. Not only are you campaigning to get people to know you uh, in your district, but also aren't you keeping an eye on on the other 17 people? Because only so many can advance to the general election. Thus, if you all can form alliances, then they can help you. If you as you move forward, they could probably help you bring their voting block to your um, camp. Yeah, you know, in, in, in the course of a political campaign, and, and I want you to think about the timeline here, because, you know, Denny Heck, the incumbent, declared he was not running for re-election back in December. And I declared that I was running sometime in December. And so as you think about how quickly you have to get up and running, you can't spend all your time looking at what the competition's doing. Now, you have a large crew of people who are working with you who are campaign staff and consultants, and they will keep an eye on that. But as a candidate, you have two duties. Your job is to raise money and to make voter contact. And because of COVID-19, it's not like we can knock on doors or mm -hmm. have events and have people show up and make motivating speeches and have them say, wow, I really support this. I want to write you a check. And so I spend about six hours a day on the telephone calling people I know and don't know, trying to raise money for my campaign. And then we're having to use digital platforms. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We do Zoom events a lot. And I've done a lot of interviews with Zoom events. And so it's a very different environment. At the same time, you know, this is what we have to work with right now. And so I can't spend all my time worrying about what everyone else is doing. We have a plan, we have a strategy, and we have to figure out what our path to victory is and just stay focused on it. Yes, Audrey. So I want to ask, if you could summarize for me, please, why would I vote for Maryland amongst 18 other people, 17 others? Why would I vote for you? What do you stand for that the others cannot deliver? So when you have a crowded field like this and you have a lot of people running, there are some things that are basic democratic values. At the same time, there are certain issues and traits and, sub and levels of experience that I think start to, start, start to make you look different. So I am the only, I'm the only woman candidate in this race who has grown up in Pierce County. I come from a military family, and I think that is important given the fact that JBLM is smack dab in the middle of this district, and there's a large active duty and a larger retired military population. I would say the other thing that I bring to this, though, that is the most unique is that Washington, D.C. right now needs people who understand what's on the ground with local government. And I think that having served as mayor for two terms and as a city council member before just gives me a very different perspective. It's one thing to be a policymaker 
to work for someone or to be in a larger body. But I just think that having the lens of local government gives me a very different perspective. And there are now people in Congress, 41 people are former mayors in Congress. And I just think there's a very different purview frame. The other thing I think it's important to Audrey is that the example I use is that when they had the first coronavirus relief package, they were trying to give aids to local communities. And the population threshold was giving money to communities of 500,000 or more. Well, that means that, yeah, if you're a large community, you get money. But what about Tacoma, Lakewood, Fife, Olympia? And so I would have fought for money going directly to cities because that's really where the needs are. And think about this. Mm -hmm. When I heard about COVID-19 and the economic crisis that came with it, the first thing I thought to myself, these city budgets are going to be decimated. Mm -hmm. And that's where basic services are provided. It's how you fund fire and police. It's how your garbage gets picked up. All the things that people rely on every day. And so I just think that having the the viewpoint of someone from local government, it just gives you a very different perspective. And then I will also say too that if I think about, you know, what's important when we think about government reflecting the community it serves, you know, I will never run on the platform that you should vote for me because I'm black and Korean, but I think representative government is important. And if you think about the fact that right now in Congress, there was one Korean American person there and his name is Andy Kim from New Jersey. And I would be the first Korean American woman elected to Congress in U.S. history. And so I just think that there are different things that I bring in a different voice. But having been mayor, you know this, you represent everyone. And I think I have that ability to understand what it means to represent a very diverse place in every possible sense of the word. Now, some people will say that, you know, there are rural communities and suburban communities. And because you were mayor of Tacoma, it's an urban community, so you're out of touch. And if you look at the geography of Tacoma, there are parts of Tacoma that are very suburban in nature. And to be honest with you, growing up in South Tacoma, there are parts of Tacoma that are very rural in nature. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is true. Yeah. And, 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 and also, too, when you serve as mayor of Tacoma, you interact with all the surrounding cities on a regular basis, whether it's through transportation, you know, military affairs, um, emergency services. And so I just think that I have a depth of knowledge that's more intimate than all the other folks. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been on your website. It's stricklandforwashington.com. Yep. And so uh, I was really curious if you could expand a little more on your priorities. I'm yes. going to list them as I, um, as I understand them. Your priorities in this election are to... Um, let me see, build an inclusive economy, uh, mm-hmm. universal health care for everyone. Um, you're passionate about home housing for all, climate change, clean air and clean water, which is speaking to my heart, education and opportunity, mm-hmm. um, military and veterans. I mean, you've got some real- Quite, quite a few priorities. <laughs> yeah, protecting women's health common sense gun safety, comprehensive immigration reform. I'm just naming them all. Retiring with dignity, which caught my eye because I'm getting to that age here, like real soon. Criminal justice reform. So um, you got a lot going on as far as what you want to take care of. Uh, Talk to me about how you, or us, about how you form these priorities. How did they even make the list? So what's interesting about the priorities I've chosen Again, it's just based on what I believe is having people's basic needs met. And all these things come into play. And so, you know, we can say it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, your basic needs met, food, shelter. I was shelter. just thinking about that. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm a trainer. We had a training class on that the other day. Go ahead. Yeah. But, you know, 
having a roof over your head is so foundational to your ability to do anything else that you want to try to do. And so this is why I'm a really strong advocate for having the federal government make a much larger investment in housing. And that's housing for people at every stage and every age of their lives. So let's build more permanent supportive housing for people who are homeless because yes, we can stabilize them, but we have to answer the question, well, then where can I go next on your road to try to becoming more stable? We need more low-income housing. We need more housing for senior citizens. And to be honest with you, we have conversations about housing for people who are just starting their careers who can't afford a place. And so I think housing is so fundamental to all of this. And then we can't deny that the healthcare system that we have now in the United States, we spend more money per capita on healthcare and we have the worst outcomes in the developed nations. And so there's an opportunity here to think about, especially with COVID, all the things that we've been kind of experimenting with when it comes to policies and how do we get to a place where every single person who is a resident of the U.S. gets access to healthcare. I mean, that should not be it, it is going to be very difficult. And I think there are some things we can do right away. The other priority I talk about as well is dealing with climate change. I mean, you know, when we think about climate change, there's a conversation about air and water, but there's also a conversation about quality of life and the things that we do as consumers that exacerbate it. And so how do we think about how we use transportation? We should be investing in more mass transit. We should be investing in things that make it easier to get out of your cars. And understanding that the 10th district is not going to have as much transit as other places. Do we have a low carbon fuel standard so that if you have to drive a car, at least you're not polluting the air as much? Are there, is it easier to build infrastructure so that it's easier to own an electric car? Because it's great to buy an electric car, but if you can't charge it anywhere, there's no point. And then I would also say there are opportunities to think about the clean air, the clean water that we have, and how staying home has had an impact on the quality of the air. You can see it. The visibility has changed. And so we know that perhaps if you have the luxury of working from home, maybe that's a policy we can think about for more companies. Wow, Marilyn. I mean, it, you got a lot going on here. I mean, there's so many priorities to consider. I don't know how you uh, keep them all straight. But as we uh, you know, move to the end of this interview, I'm really curious, if I think about it, that with the math, you're when you win, I'm going to speak to it in claim it, in, um, claim it, claim it's claimed. It, but when you win, mm -hmm. um, you would start office in January 2021. So I don't know if that's post COVID or we're still going to be in COVID, but what is your leadership stance going to be, you know, as you envision, you know, moving into this role? How will you lead in, in this COVID times? So, you know, I will be one of 400 some odd people in change. And so you don't just show up there in DC and say, here's what we're going to do. So you have to build relationships and collaborate. But in a post-COVID world, there are probably five things we know we need to do. You know, what we're going to learn is you have to focus on the science. Science is real. You have to focus on public health and you have to focus on worker safety. So I say that's important. I say the second part is, you know, what does it mean to bring an economy back? And, you know, I was mayor of Tacoma during the last recession. And it was brutal, mm. but we had to do a few things that we know would be helpful. We invested in workers, we invested in infrastructure, and I think that creating jobs like that and helping people was actually a really smart thing to do. We put a measure on the ballot to raise a minimum wage, and 70% of the voters in Tacoma said yes to that. 
We passed paid sick leave. We passed a measure to raise taxes to repair our streets and to build infrastructure. And so those are not sexy things, but they're the types of things we want to do. I would say the other thing we have to do as well is let's go, let's have this movement here that says made in the South Sound. Yes. When you look at what's happening with the COVID crisis, they can't get masks and equipment and basic things they need. We should be manufacturing those things right here in the U.S. instead of having to wait around for things to get shipped from overseas. And so let's make them here in the South Sound. We have ports, we have rail, we have talent. We can do all of that here. And then I'd say finally, it's just we got to hold the Trump administration accountable. Now, hopefully in 2021, we won't have to because it'll be a done deal. But if we think about what's possible, we have to make sure that we have a national public health system that can respond to crises like this, because Mm -hmm. this will not be the only time something like this happens. Let's fully fund the Centers for Disease Control. Let's fully fund the National Institutes of Health. And let's base our decisions on science and research instead of just turning everything into some kind of a press conference and a campaign rally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, my closing remark about this is we are better than this. And finally, we have to support local small businesses. COVID-19 has really demonstrated that our local businesses, even when times are going well, are always vulnerable. So let's shop local. Let's be local. Let's think about how we consistently prop up our local businesses always with public health and safety in mind first. So that's a very abbreviated version of what I hope to do, but it's a five-point plan that I have, and it's on my website. Mm, Louise? Yes, I just have to. I want to know, do you know, um, I'm going to just say you can, you can take this cut right here, um, Doug. Louise, I, I want to know if you know Marilyn better now. I do. And I do. And I do. And I say that twice for a reason. I know her better because I have more insight into specifics of your run for Congress and your background. I loved the, the, I did not know before today, your story of, you know, how you got here and all of that and your mom and dad. And then I say I do for the second time because today was an affirmation of what I already knew. And that is that you are coming from, you are not a politician, okay? You are a person who has been into politics, but you're Mm -hmm. a person first. And what that affirms for me is that your basic humanity, the basic core of who you are I would vote for you for anything because you're coming from a good place. Anyone who can see beyond themselves and, and, and comes into position of public service on purpose to help others, that's you. You got me. I thank you because everybody's not able. Everybody's not able. Some of us have one piece or other. Now, I got one piece. I love my human beings, and I am for the people. But I don't have that other stuff, you know. Well, the the one thing, (laughs) yeah. Well, no, and I think the other thing that's interesting, I mean, I've known all of you for a long time, and there are people I've known since elementary school and high school. It's like, I'm 
kind of, I'm pretty much the same person I was when yep. you first met me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. And I think that's, that's, and uh, that's the point. That's the point. And that's um, the point. Audrey, I'm going to take you back to grandma, grandmommy and them, the words of wisdom. What? Fat meat is, is crazy. crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's how they tell us. Fat meat is crazy. And so Marilyn, girl, thank you for showing us who you are. Because Maya says when people show you who they are. Believe them. Believe them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say with that, 253 listeners, we just finished talking to uh, Marilyn Strickland, a candidate for the 10th Congressional District. She showed us who she is. I'm going to say drop the mic. Boom. Boom. Thank you for listening to What Say You? If you have conversation ideas or want to follow up on what you heard, please contact Melanie by email at Melanie at MissMelanie.com. M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E at M-I-S-S-M-E-L-A-N-N-I-E dot com. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. The What Say You podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, and We Art Tacoma. This is Channel 253.